So beginning in Revelation chapter 21, verse number 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him as a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will... And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, the murderers, and the whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was likened to stone. Now, this is, this is with John's primitive understanding, this is the best he can do to describe the celestial city. Having the glory of God, and her light was likened to the stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, the clearest crystal. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure, so an angel, the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the length of the city lieth four square. So this isn't just a horizontal city, as we're familiar with, but this is a city that has both vertical and horizontal dimension. And the city lieth four square, the length as is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. And the building of the wall, as it were, was of jasper again. The city was pure gold, like into clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the cities were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was of jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, and the fourth of emerald, the fifth sardonyx, and the sixth sardius, and the seventh chrysolite, and the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophus, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the streets of the city were pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, 
near the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth shall, do their, shall bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall be no wise enter into it anything that is defileth, neither whatsoever worketh an abomination or maketh a lie, but that which is are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river, water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. No doubt the same tree of life that was in Eden, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face. This is the first time this ever happens. We shall see His face. And His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither the light of the sun, nor the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, these sayings are faithful, and he's trying to get us across, and true. I'm like, what I'm saying is true. And the Lord God and the holy prophets sent his angels to show unto his servant these things, which must surely be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these sayings, and I heard them. And when I, heard and, when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, <coughs> which showed me these sayings. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And of course he didn't, and that's why we're reading it. For the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work shall be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do His commandments, and they, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book of the prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city from which the things are written in this book. He which testifieth these sayings saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. It is true. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
be with you all. Amen. And in the words of the King James Bible, it says the end. But it's really the beginning. As we conclude our study of the Apocalypse in chapters 21 and 22, we rehearse here in these chapters a continuous thought about the end of time, um, which is a construct of God. It's not an eternal constant. It's something that God has created. And so these chapters give us the end of time, and then it records for us the beginning of eternity. It, re it records not so much the end, but the beginning of all things made new. For the final time, John, the apostle on the island of Patmos, banished there for his faith in Christ, sees his final revelation guided by the angel of things to come. Thus far, John has seen and described seven amazing, incredible, terrifying seven years of the apocalypse, of what we call the tribulation, the great tribulation. He has described in detail God's judgment upon humanity, the fallen world, and really a fallen universe, and of Satan's rebellion. He has communicated how Satan has worked through the Antichrist and has and his demons has really set the world on fire, doing even greater ruin to our planet. He describes how God in these last days was still a God of grace. And through his two witnesses and through the 144,000 prophets and through an angel flying in the sky has declared the gospel for whosoever will. And we know there are many saved in this time, though the majority still reject Christ. It describes the chaos and the confusion of the Antichrist rules. He asserts himself as God of this world. He tells us how men in blindness and rebellion take on the mark of the beast and defiance to God. And the book describes in glorious detail Christ's second advent, the eschaton, his second coming. And the sus subsequent decimation of Satan's epicenter of rule is called Babylon, most likely the site of current Rome. And then the armies of Armageddon, in no need of an army, but rather by this, the speaking forth of a word, the armies are destroyed. And then the imprisonment of Satan. And then John sees the, the wonderful future millennial reign of Christ, a thousand year rule of Christ on this planet. The earth is somewhat transformed in its nature, Jerusalem being lifted up to the sky, the rivers of, uh, uh, flowing from there into the Dead Sea, transforming it, the world looking up into Jerusalem. He sees a wonderful reign of Christ, and then as men multiply once again, those who had come through the tribulation, still having a sinful nature, they fall into rebellion once again. Their final rebellion that Satan is let loose for, and he organizes this last uh, you know, fight against God. And then in a final fiery judgment, such as it was in Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and there in, in Armageddon, uh, the devil and humanity are yet destroyed again. And then Satan and those who will not bend to Christ are judged in the great white throne judgment. An incredible, um, devastating event and uh, they were thrown into the lake of fire, sobering. And then all that is, is uncreated. 
Um, we talk a lot about creation, but the world is uncreated. The heavens and the earth flee away. The atoms that hold this universe together, which Colossians 1.16 tells, are held together. It consists by the hand of God. Every moment of every day, God's involved the atoms that are in every single one of your bodies. And when God lets loose of that grand control in that way, these things scatter and flee in the universe, the world, the stars, the sun, the galaxies that we know that are fleeing at this moment are dissolved in, in, in an atomic explosion all at one time. It's an incredible thing. And then something new. God creates a new and by the word new, I, I don't mean next. I mean new qualitatively. And the Bible indicates this in, in, the, in the word in the Greek. Not just new in terms of something after what has been there, but something new entirely. Uh, things as they should have been and could have been. A universe unspoiled by sin. A, a world with the greater ability to sense and appreciate it. God creates a different, a next, a new category of glory in the universe. It's a new cosmos, a new universe, a new everything. There's a new earth located, and the word location doesn't even mean anything because it won't even be the universe anymore, but there's a new earth, a brand new earth, and it has no more sea. There's nothing that parts or separates humanity or what we will be in there anymore. This new earth becomes the epicenter of God's new creation. And then this is extraordinary. And then heaven, which has to be in another dimension altogether, heaven and the new earth meet together. And there is no more um, ethereal heaven anymore. Heaven, a portal opens, and what was in heaven comes to the new earth. And we see that in the new Jerusalem and the holy city, the place that the entirety of it with us as inhabitants becomes the, the temple of God. It's extraordinary. The new, the new epicenter of all that is. Heaven comes down to the new earth, and the city comes down, this heavenly city of God begins to descend. And John sees this. I, 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 it had to be extraordinary. Positioned like a great diamond upon a beautiful ring, it becomes a new place of sanctified man's habitation. The city is the place. Now, I, this is, to me, this is so incredible. In John chapter 14, Jesus is going back to heaven. He's, he's, he's lived with disciples. He's He's, he, he's, he's about to die. And he, he looks at the disciples and he said these incredible words. We, we use them at so many funerals. Let not your heart be troubled. You know? And he says, and I want you to get this. He says, I'm going to a place. And the word place in the Greek in John 14 literally means home. It means address. It means place of abode. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, the place he's talking about is the place that's descending in Revelation chapter 21. 
So what he told the disciples where he's going to prepare, he's going here. So the city that we see here is not a city made by any hands of man. This is a city that the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of this, this present universe, the creator of the even grander one in the future, this is a place that God himself has made. Whatever your home is and how special it is, that's, that's, that's nice. You have an address in this city. Now, I'm not sure what floor or what block. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But this is the place that Jesus is referring to in John chapter 14. It's, it's just crazy how these things are connected. This is that city. John sees into the city now and this, this, this coming down. He, he begins to notice, obviously, all kinds of uh, things about the city and some differences. But John sees first the absence of some things. And uh, of course he sees, him, he sees God present in the city, which is an extraordinary presence. But he sees in this new earth with a new city, he, he knows there's no sea. And, and the sea is not innately evil, but the sea for early man represented a, a, a great divide, a turmoil. It was, it was something that was feared and there's, there's no fear in the new heaven and the new earth. There's no evil is the idea. He notices there's no tears. There's no death. There's no sorrow. There's no crying. There's no pain. There's no sin. There's no deception. There's no confusion. There's no rebellion. Everything in kind and quality is not just new, but it's, it's good, it's right, it's holy, it's righteous, it's beautiful. And he's looking at this, and you know, John's going to be taken aback. And so he stops in verses 5, 6, 21. He says, hey, by the way, this is true. Uh, it's faithful and true what I'm saying. It's not a story. It's not a fabrication. It's not just some, uh, you know, man-made vision. What I'm saying to you, what I'm about to say to you, it's true. And I want you to understand that. He said, this comes from the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This comes from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He said, there's coming a day in a beautiful city where there'll be no deprivation. There'll be no want. There'll be no fear. He's writing to the seven churches in Asia Minor where all they know is fear and deprivation. They, 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 they're trying to get a job. They're trying to work. They're, they're, they're strangers in a foreign country. And all they know is want. And these words are written then again up to the, days, the people of the days of the apocalypse. And that's all they know. They can't buy or sell without having the mark of the beast, which they have forfeited. And he's saying those days are forever gone. No deprivation. Just unending joy and provision, which he'll describe in a moment. A day that you will forever, ever be satisfied. He speaks of their overcoming, about their faith in Christ will allow them to be in the city. And he says, and in this place, there'll be no sin in verse 8. That's been dealt with. That's been banished. In verse 10, John's eyes gaze upon this city again. And everything he's trying to say here, there's, there's detail and specifics. But the big idea is this. It's a beautiful place. This, all these words. It's a beautiful, extraordinary, incomprehensible place. Of grandeur and splendor. And he uses the word like. I, this, is, this is what I have at my disposal in my vocabulary. Here's the words that I have to use to describe. It's like, he says, it's like a translucent sparkling stone. 
Jasper is not something that we'd be familiar with today. Not exactly sure what Jasper may be. Most people think Jasper was probably what we would know as a diamond. It's described as translucent, um, having incredible, brilliant qualities, sparkling. So this city is like a giant diamond, is what he's saying. It's just unimaginably beautiful, translucent. And, and, and the idea here is this, is that God's in the center and the glory of it. And like an incredible prism, the Shekinah glory of God just breaks through this translucent city. And can you imagine what that must be like? Shine a light on a diamond and you go, wow. And then when the light emanates from the diamond, inside out. Incredible. It's like Jasper, verse 11, brilliant and dazzling. God's glory is refracted and reflected in all of its beauty and all of its walls. And John sees great walls, not walls of protection, but walls meant to express the magnitude and the safety of, God, of God's people and the magnitude of God. Each side has three gates attended by an angel, not as a guardian, not as a sentinel, but just as a grand ambassador. Can we, can we imagine? You're walking with the angels. Twelve tribes of Israel are inscribed above the doors, speaking of God's working through the Old Testament. Twelve being a number of completion and perfection in the Bible. The city's foundations are inscribed as twelve layers, again complete and, and beautiful. The names of the apostles represented the church written there of us. And then John sees, this, is, this, is, this has symbolic meaning, John sees an angel take up a reed, now, there's different measurements for a reed, and for some of these, there's, uh, um, there's just not a set number that's here. That there's three or four different measurements, and so if you Google it, you might find two or three different numbers. But here's the deal. An angel takes up a reed, and he begins to measure this thing, and, and John's watching it. Now, if you remember from the study of the Minor Prophets, measuring things out is a way of implying ownership. So you buy a property, you have it surveyed. And you have it surveyed because it's yours. And so God has the city surveyed. This is my city. This is our city. This is the city of God. This is the city I made. And so this, this angel's measuring this out. And then John hears the number. If you take these numbers and try to transfer them to current measurements, I'll give you a proximity. He's describing a city that is approximately, by our calculations, if, we, if this is correct, between 1,300 and 1,500 miles in every direction. Put that in perspective, that is from the Atlantic Ocean to somewhere in the mid-continental United States in every direction. See, this is a new world. Gravity is probably not a thing. And we have glorified bodies. So it's this way, and it's this way, and it's that way. It's over 3 billion square miles. I don't know how many people you can put in 3 billion square miles, but that's extraordinary. But this is the place of the saints where we live, the place that Jesus prepared for us. And it will not confine us because the Bible says that there are gates and we can, they'll be open. There will be a cosmos, no doubt, to not just explore, but to rule and reign with Christ over. 
because there are nations and there's administrative duties for us. But again, the walls are of translucent, translucent brilliance. They're made of, the streets are gold. This is a different kind of gold. It's gold, but it's again a translucent gold. It's a heavenly gold. And they line the streets and they line the walls. And so now color begets the brilliance to make it even more beautiful. The gates are like pearl, shining, glimmering. And then he says this, there's no temple. And this is new. There's no temple. He says, because the whole city is the temple. And by the whole city is not implied just the place, but the people. So the city that God and the Lamb are in the center of, the place and the people, the temple. God's there. And this is, this is extraordinary. This city's a cube. And so he says, this is the temple. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle and in the temple, there was an innermost sanctum where God dwelt. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that place was called the Holy of Holies. And guess what? It was a perfect square. And so we have the, the type all through the Old Testament of what the new heavenly city will be like, the temple of God in this perfect square. The whole thing is now the Holy of Holies, and God is there, and so are we. This is where God now dwells. But here's the difference. We get to see Him there. Face to face. So brilliant is the beauty of this place that John struggles to describe it. God himself illuminates the whole thing. In chapter 22, from the center of this city, there's a throne of God. And the Bible tells us that something like water proceeds out of the center of the throne. And this is an eternal throne. This water is perpetual. It's, it glimmers and shines like the crystal all around it. It's, 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 it's not just perfect. It's more. It's other. And it proceeds in a river like a major highway in and through the city and into the new creation. And, and the Bible tells us, the Greek here is a little hard to understand exactly what it's, it's describing. But it's like the river's coming and then there's this magnificent tree and or trees in the center of it, or it could be understood as on either side of it, but these are the, this is the tree of life. And this tree it has leaves. And it talks about the healing of the nations, and not that the healing will be needed there, but the idea of perpetual, of continual health is the idea. And, and, and there's this tree gives off fruit, and it's just trying to describe the idea of provision. And 12 fruits, and it says 12 months, there's no time anymore. So you know, it's just trying to get across an idea. In other words, the idea is this, is what is required and needed for perpetual, never-ending, everlasting provision, protection, and, and sustaining, it's in the city. Because God's there. It's just there's no want. There's everything. In verses 3 and 4, it says, in this city, you and I are going to have purpose. We, we don't, we can't, I, I know it's hard to comprehend, like, how do you just do something forever? I don't know, but we do. And, I, and we're pretty happy about it. 
And, you know, God's an infinite God of creation and, and no telling what he will do or make or create in this incredible universe, but we will be his attendants. We will be his servants. We will be his regents. We will administrate and rule and reign along with him in this place, and we will see him. Incredible, magnificent, incomprehensible description of the creation to come. It's a place of joy and purpose and ruling and reigning with God. We will have work there just as the original Eden had for Adam and Eve that they spoiled. In chapter two, uh, verse 6, I believe, again, it said, this is true. John says, what I'm saying is true. And he says, I want you to believe it's true because verse 7, he's coming quickly. Time with God is not like time for man. And a day with us is like a, you know, for the, a day for the Lord can be like a thousand years for us, but he's coming quickly. And peppered throughout the rest of the text is this call, this invitation to come, to come, to be a part. There's water of life here. It's not just in the city, but it's, it's available right now in this life. You can gain entrance and citizenship in this, to this city today. Matter of fact, you have to. You can't get into it then. You have to gain entrance in it today, so come. Whoever's a thirst, let him come. Whosoever will, whoever wants an eternal city and forgiveness of sins and to be in this place, you need to come. And then John is told to publish all he has seen for the time is coming soon. And we, of course, he published it in the book that we read. We are encouraged to believe these words, to believe in Christ, to keep his word, to live for Christ today. So we'll more greatly enjoy it then. In verse 7, he says, keep these words. See that thou do it, worship God. Verse 14, blessed are those who keep the words blessed in the way that we get to experience this with God one day. And then a, a word of warning that our response today determines our citizenship in that city or absence of it in the future. So in verse 11, there's this curious set of little phrases where he says, if you're unjust, just, you're going to be unjust is the idea. If you're filthy, in other words, if you're filthy and you don't wash, you're going to always be filthy. But if you're righteous today, you'll forever be righteous. If you're holy today, you'll forever be holy. What's he saying? Is you need to figure this out right now. Because who you are today, if you die that way, is who you will be and where, determine where you will be forever. So you will forever be righteous or holy, or you will forever be filthy and a sinner. What is he saying? Decide. You need to decide. He said, if you choose in faith, Lord Jesus Christ, that I'm bringing my reward with me. And he says, come in verse 17. The Spirit of God in this place beckons you to come. If you're needy, you're thirsty today, then you come because this will be your inheritance. And the idea of verse 18 of adding and subtracting from the word, I, we talk about it. And, and the idea is not so much we cross out the word the or whatever here. The idea is this. There's only one name under heaven whereby a man must be saved. There's no other way that a man can be saved than by the truth of this book. You try to subtract from it and get there, it's not going to work. You try to add to it and get there, it's not going to work. Matter of fact, if you do any of those things, you're just going to be cursed. You're going to experience all the plagues are in this, that the lake of fire will forever be that plague for you. 
He says, this is, this is true. There's no other truth. There's no other way. Sincerity is not enough. Religion won't get you there. Subtracting in sincerity or adding in religion, neither one of them works. He said, this is the way to do it. We cannot, the idea is you can't deviate from the truth and find your way to this city. And then we're left with this encouragement and inspirational hope. I come quickly. And the word we all like to say is amen. In other words, it's true. And I stand this pulpit before you tonight. And on the obvious evidence of the creation around us, the innate need we have and desire for something beyond us, the obvious evidence that man is a sinner in need of a savior, I would say to you tonight, it is true. And even so, you know, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because there's this truth is who we are when we die in this planet is who we're going to be in terms of we're going to be forever. And so we need to think about that. Now I want you to do this. I'm going to take your Bibles. And I want you to turn to the book of 2 Peter. And in just a few moments, we're going to close with a thought. Have you ever heard this phrase before? Um, and there's a measure of truth to this phrase, but it says this. Um, Let's not be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Okay. Now, we all understand the sentiment of that, don't we? Okay. That's a sweet sentiment, but it's not necessarily true. And I understand the sentiment and would agree with the sentiment. But just because we're heavenly minded doesn't mean we're going to be of no earthly good. As a matter of fact, the Bible really contradicts that with the opposite thought. The more you and I have our mind fixed that that place is real, the more earthly good we're most likely to be. Amen. Like if that's going to be our home and we have rewards coming there, why in the world would we not live an endeavor to give ourselves to that place? Hebrews chapter 11, we're told to desire a heavenly city. Philippians chapter 3, we are told we have a citizenship in heaven. Colossians chapter 3 tells us to set our minds on things above. James chapter 4 tells us to not make friends with this world. Jesus told us in this lifetime, lay up treasures in that city, in that heaven, the things that are above. Hebrews tells us that our names are recorded there, our citizenship is there. We have an inheritance there, a reward and more treasure. Everything of lasting importance is being accumulated in that city, not here on the earth. That is the place that Jesus is in this moment, evidently, preparing for us. And now think about this. God created all this in six days. All that we know. What does a future existence look like that God has been working on for 2,000 years? It's extraordinary. If we can get a vision of this future, it can and it will exert a powerful influence on us. It will produce in us a purpose, a drive. It will give meaning to everything we do. 
It'll help us make godly choices. It'll remove the temptation for temporal evil. It'll change our hearts. It'll change where our treasures are. It'll bring comfort to you in trials. Listen, no matter how hard life is, you have a reservation in that city. A city with gold streets and jasper walls. That's, that's, God is there. Everything's going to fade in comparison to that. This will bring you comfort in trials. It'll put death into perspective. We will sorrow, but not like those who have no hope, because those who've gone before us will be there who know the Lord. This is the future heaven, the state of the believer. In the Bible, this place is referred to more than 500 times. The point, it's true. It's real. It's a coming place, and it's coming for us. The Apostle Peter, writing to really some of the same people that John's audience was, some of these truths were already known by the people. And so this puts the third chapter of 2 Peter in a different perspective. They've heard some of this truth. They know some of this. Okay? Just as you have just now heard, they're reading these two texts and a short preaching of it. So now Peter takes up pen and preaching, and he writes the third chapter of 2 Peter. I'm going to read it, and we'll conclude. This second epistle, beloved, I now write to you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the Father fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water <clears throat> and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens of the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire, against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise in this text or the book of Revelation, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But... The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, the uncreation. Seeing then the end, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, 
when the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things. It's okay to look forward to heaven. It's okay. Matter of fact, it's encouraged. If you're looking for that, then be diligent that you be found, that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. That's why we put, preach the book of Revelation. Not to find a chronology, not to know every detail. Here's the thing there's a day coming when evil is going to be banished. And those who trust in Christ will be rewarded. It's true. It's coming. And if you don't choose to be just and righteous, then you will remain unjust and unrighteous for all of eternity. But if you trust in Christ and choose to be holy and pure, then that's the condition and the place and the citizenship you will have for all of eternity. So I would say to you, you can choose to be unjust, or you can choose to be righteous. Heaven's coming. It's real. It's true. Think about it, and then live according to that coming truth and reality. Let me ask you to stand tonight, if you would.